I'd draw your attention this morning to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We'll read God's holy word, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for what your word reveals to us about the creation. Lord, we thank you that you are omnipotent, you are omniscient. That you had a purpose in creation, and a purpose in displaying your wisdom, your power, your authority, Lord, your sovereignty as a whole. Lord, I pray that you would just open the word before us this morning, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord, that we would come before you with humble hearts, ready to, to hear from your word. Lord, be with those who are gone from us this morning. Lord, may you bless them where they're at. To the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to uh, do something for me this morning. And I realize that in some way, analogies always fail. But I'm going to ask you to build me a house. I'm looking at Brad. <laughs> Asking you to build me a house. A perfect house. I mean a perfect house. I won't settle for anything less than that. Absolute and utter perfection. You ever built one of those, Brad? <laughs> That's where we're going. <laughs> And what's more is you can't rest until it's complete. You can't rest until this absolute and utterly perfect house is complete. And once again, I'm not asking you just to get it done. I'm asking you to get it done perfectly. Every corner laid perfectly in line and at a right angle to the cornerstone. Laid out perfectly level, every sill, plate perfectly flat against the footer, every stud perfectly straight with no crowning, every floor and ceiling joists, a perfect piece of lumber, aligned with no gaps, no twists, perfectly level, perfectly plumb, perfectly spaced, walls at perfect 90 degree angles. 
bricks laid in perfect rows with perfect mortar lines. Perfect drywall. Perfect paint. Perfect fixtures. Perfect plumbing. Perfect electrical. Perfect drainage. Perfect. On and on and on. Perfect. Not only that, but it has to be done so that it perfectly lasts. You can't rest until it's finished. How long is that going to take you? How long? Will you ever be finished? I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you. Brad already did. Not going to happen. You'll never build me a perfect house. Never get it done. I've been around a few builders back when we had our cabinet business, thinking of one in particular. But I've been around quite a few builders, a few and this one in particular, that are absolute perfectionists. I won't mention his name. A few people here know him. But he's an absolute perfectionist. But guess what? You can't build a perfect house. You can't do it. When they're done building the house, they turn over the keys to the owner, and the owner will call them back, and guess what? There's going to be problems. There's going to be things that need to be fixed. And a year down the road, there's going to be more things that need to be fixed. I don't even mean things that the owner caused. I mean thing that's inherent, things that are inherent in the building process because a house can't be made perfect. It may be pretty good, but it will never be very good. The builder's going to build a perfect house. It'll never be finished. And if he tries, he's going to try in vain. And if he continues to attempt this to perfection, he will never find rest. Never. Well, that's a physical house. Now make me a spiritual house. Love your wife perfectly. Submit to your husband perfectly. React to your kids in love perfectly. Teach them perfectly. Love your neighbor perfectly. Love your God perfectly. And so on and so on. That's what's required to please God. Perfection. Perfection is the requirement of God to be right with him. There can be no flaws, no erring, no deficiencies. There can be nothing lacking, nothing incomplete, nothing that doesn't last. Not just perfection, but permanent perfection. Our Lord's brother, James, in James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all, of all of it. One minuscule point of failure, one defect, no paint, no cover-up, no nothing, not a thing can hide that failure from an all-seeing God with whom we have to one day give an account. 
So if you're content on doing, you'll never rest. Never find rest. Now let's look at the word that we have this morning. I'll remind you of where, where we basically finished last week. We spoke briefly of our text here at the beginning of chapter 2 um, of this historical account of creation that we find in Genesis. We concluded with the evening and the morning, the sixth day, where we read in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. God then said to man that every plant yielding seed is given for food to every creature that has the breath of life. And then God says it was so. And then God looked out over all his creation and saw that everything that he had made, everything that he had created, and, I, and I'll remind you of what this creation is. We don't have the power to create. We might be able to assemble a few things that are created together, but we don't have the power to, to create. But God creates, and he looked out over all that he had created, and he makes a proclamation to himself and says, it was very good. Not just good, not just adequate, it was very good. It was perfect in form and function, Every command of God and intent of God in creation had perfectly come to pass. It was very good. Then we read in the account of Genesis given to Moses in Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Genesis 2 1 in, in, a, in a way is an echo of Genesis 1-1, where we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. They were, if you remember, we, we talked about them being uninhabited and uninhabitable when he created. And then he spends the next six days of creation making them into what we come to in Genesis 2-1. When he finished the work of creation. Well, God is pleased with his creation. He is content with his creation. He is satisfied with his creation. Here in this place, on this planet, in this solar system, in this galaxy, somewhere in the middle of this vast and seeming to us unmeasurable universe, this infinite universe, is a place God created that is absolutely perfect for sustaining life. 
absolutely perfect for it. If the earth was hung at a slightly different angle on its axis, if it had a slightly different orbit around the sun, or even the moon in its orbit around the earth was slightly different, it would be incapable of sustaining life. This earth is the center of his creation. This is where God created, planted, and did so in such a way that life might be sustained. For all this that he created here is the place that is to be focused, where his work, a work that will be accomplished that is even greater than the physical creation itself, will be set forward, put into motion, and completed and brought to absolute perfection. But here, his creation is finished. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing he intended to make that he has not made. Nothing incomplete or partially made. It was not missing one thing that is needed to support life. It was very good. All that he made was worthy of praise to him. It was a reflection of his beautiful and transcendent glory. And it is finished. It is finished. The seventh day stands as the crowning day of all this creation week. On this seventh day, there was no creation formula here. There is no words God said, let there be. As we talked in the afternoon last Sunday, I believe Pamela mentioned this, there is no closing refrain. There are no words. There was evening and there was morning. There's no closing refrain. It alone is the day that God blesses. He blessed the sea creatures. He blessed man, the birds, but this alone is the day that God blesses. There is not a single being that has been created or will be created, whether angel, human, sea creature, bird, or anything else that creeps on the earth that has the breath of life, whose kind was not created in these six previous days. All the hosts, we read here, all the hosts of them were finished. Why is it that we're forbidden to worship the creatures in heaven and earth? Isn't that what we're forbidden to do in Exodus 20? In the tablet? The Ten Commandments, you shall not, in, in verse uh, 4 through 5 of Exodus 20, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? Because they're creatures, not the Creator. And the Creator alone is worthy of honor and praise and worship. Isn't that the chorus that we sing, the scripture song from Revelation 
4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There is nothing, nothing that is created outside of him. The writer of Ecclesiastes says something interesting. In Ecclesiastes 3, 14 through 15, he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Perfectly made. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. And then listen to what he says. He says, that which is, at his current time, that which is, already has been. That which is to be already has been. This throws out evolution by a long shot. One thing becoming something else. That which is has already been and that which is to be already has been. God created it all in the kinds that he created. God has shown by an infinite degree in creation that what he begins, he is most able and most assuredly will finish. There's nothing that he started in creation that he didn't complete. And here, God declares in this first verse of chapter 2, God declares, he makes a proclamation. It is finished. We then read in Genesis 2.2, And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It is on this seventh day that we read, He, that is God, rested. He finished the work and he rested. Now this does not mean that he rested out of need or that he was tired or needed rest because he had grown weary while he created. His power has not been depleted by creation. He was not, he, he does not have this reservoir of power that he works and somehow that power drains out of him and it needs to be refilled. God is omnipotent. There is an unending supply of power in the one who is all-powerful. He has no need of recuperation. He has no need to close his eyes. He has no need to have sleep. He has no re need for a power nap. Man has need to replenish. Isaiah will tell us in Isaiah 44, 12, the ironsmith, and if you've ever known anybody that works iron, they're pretty powerful men, right? Used to swing that big hammer. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. But then Isaiah tells us he becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. 
But listen to me. Our God is not such a one as this. He is not. Psalm 121.4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It's not the rest we're talking about. Isaiah 40, verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Psalm 145, 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. A couple chapters later in Psalm 147, 5, Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And Paul tells us in Romans 1, 19 through 20, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since when? ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul says that creation itself speaks of God and his eternal power. So it is not a rest of need that we read about here on the seventh day. What is it then? Well, it simply means that God ceased from working to create that which had never been. His creative effort ceased to produce that which was new. He had done all his intended work and brought it about to absolute perfection. He had no more to do that he purposed to do in the creation of the world and in the beings that were to fill that world that he created. But let us not take this for one instance to mean that God has ceased from working in general. This is dealing with a specific type of work that he rested from. This was the work of creation. He didn't cease his working in the providential government of all things in his world. And the work of God in sustaining and bringing about life from life continues and it still continues to this day. None of these things are possible without the active and powerful work of the triune God and through the work of the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 16-17 says, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things and holds all things together. He is still at work. Even you, every single one of us, is a work of creative power and wisdom from God. David says in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, he says, For you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. We are to be in awe and praising our God for his ongoing work. Brothers and sisters, think about this for a moment. The great I am, the great I am has made you. Not just in making Adam and Eve from which you came from. He didn't just wind up the clock when he made Adam and Eve and let it run its course. No, he formed you and he made you. He has knit you together and given you life at the moment of conception and his creative power was at work as you were formed and made in your mother's womb. God has not ceased to work. This is not what is meant here by rest. For Christ even says in John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I am working. What is meant once again is that God has ceased. He has rested from the particular work of creating the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them, all the kinds that he produced. By the end of this sixth day that we read about last week and that we looked at, all his creature kinds were living on the earth in the paradise which God had created for them. And there was perfect communion between God and man, which he had created in his own image. So he rested, and this was the beginning of rest. God brought this forth, this rest, rest from his creative efforts and rest for his creation. No hardship, nothing in opposition to him. It was very good, and it was finished. Let me skip ahead for a moment and let's get a glimpse of what's to come. This rest would in a fashion be lost by the rebellion of man against their creator and that the moment of Adam's sin and Adam's rebellion. And God brought forth something, created something that wasn't in existence before. Thorns and thistles. This rest was in a sense lost. And God will begin again. The work of creation. Having chosen a people and making them a new creation. Creating new life in them. In a creative work that I believe far surpasses the creative work that we read about here in these opening chapters of Genesis when he created the heavens and the earth that we've been looking at. And God is working to bring about this new creation and bring it about to its final consummation where he will create a new heaven and a new earth where a rest that we can't even begin to really comprehend will be a reality and all things will be made new. Revelation 21, 1 
says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Well, here, then we read in Genesis 2-3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all, the, all his work that he had done in creation. God blessed this day and made it holy. He sanctified it. He set it apart for a particular purpose. We get a more complete glimpse of this purpose in what God was doing here in a few passages also recorded for us by Moses. If you want to write these down, you can. If you want to quickly turn to them, you can as well. In Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Moses records the words of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we have this recorded as well in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 12, excuse me, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Where Moses once again records, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any, other, any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God, your God, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Every aspect, every aspect of the life of a people set apart to God, a people chosen to be his people was to reflect that they belong to him, that they are his peculiar people, created, sustained, and patterning their lives according to his way and according to his will. This day set aside to apply their minds to these things that God is their creator and their sustainer. There is not another nation who had a Sabbath day. Israel alone 
had a Sabbath day. It's very important to note in reflecting on this that this is the purpose of God in ordering the time and the pattern of his creative week, of creation week. That a day would be set apart to rest, for his people to reflect and to rest in their God. In the passage in Deuteronomy 5, in verse 15, he said, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. They were to remember and to set this day apart. A day made holy by God. Holy given to him for his praise and adoration for what he had done in not only creation, but in saving them and redeeming them out of the land of Egypt. He had not only given them rest, but he had given them a day of rest. He had become their rest. And this day was to remember and to honor that. This was not a day set aside when the law was given. It was not. This is the day set aside on the seventh day of creation, long before Moses ever recorded the words of the law. Moses recorded in the past tense when he recorded the law. In six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, which is what we read in Genesis 2-3. Now, this Sabbath was instituted and it pointed to something. This rest had a purpose and this rest had a substance. We'll get to the fall shortly as we make our way through these opening chapters of Genesis. But in light of the fall and what we know is about to happen when man rebels against their creator, and in light of the fact that we know God has a purpose and a plan in absolutely everything that he does, I think it's imperative that we look at the correlation to the substance of the Sabbath. When Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, came. Let's think for a moment about who this is, this Messiah. About who he is. He is, this Messiah, Jesus Christ, he is the creator. He's the creator. He is the word that was with God. He's the word that was God. The same that was in the beginning with God. Well, what beginning is that? It's the Genesis 1-1 beginning. In the beginning. The word which created all things according to John. This one by whom according to the Apostle Paul, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, Paul says. And in him all things hold together. This one, this one who is co-equal to the Father and the Spirit. One person's one person of the three persons of the one Godhead, this triune Godhead, all equally involved and resolved to accomplish the work of creation that we read about in Genesis 1. All three persons resting on the seventh day because the work of creation was finished. It was finished. This word of God became flesh. We read about this in John. This word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And once again, while this word of God was dwelling, was tabernacling, tabernacling among us, we hear words that echo what we read in Genesis 2. There is a point where the word of God once again says, it is finished. And he rested from his work of the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christ from the cross cried, It is finished. He gave his life for us to ransom us, to redeem us, so that we might be made new creatures, a new creation. Christ is our rest. Christ is our Sabbath. Christ even says to the Pharisees in Mark 2, 27 and 28, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Christ became flesh so that man might be redeemed. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He is Lord, and He is even Lord of the Sabbath, our rest. He says this of Himself. He says this in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30, Come to Me, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, he says, and you will find what? You will find rest. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. 
We read earlier Hebrews chapter 4. Where we find the author of Hebrews as he extols the excellency and the superiority of Christ. Here in this passage, he is showing that Christ Jesus is superior to Moses, the writer of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses, who declared to us the Sabbath. Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who have formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward. In the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So there remains a rest for the people of God. Why then were the people here of God not able to enter that rest? Look at verse 19 of chapter 3 in Hebrews here. Where the writer says of the children of Israel who were redeemed out of Egypt. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And Hebrews 4, 2, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And in verse 8, he says, Joshua, when they came into the land that was promised, spoke of the day later on, and David, long after this, long after the point of creation, long after the point of Moses, long after they came into the promised land, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. David is saying, don't turn away from the voice of the Savior. He is our rest. This promised Messiah is our Sabbath. And whoever enters God's rest has rested from his works as God has rested from his. It's not about land. It's not about anything except our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being our rest. Israel could take back every bit of ground today that they've lost. They could take the temple mound back. They could rebuild a temple. They could start animal sacrifices again. And they would never receive rest if they don't have faith in Christ Jesus. It was God who rested in the garden after he finished the work. It was God the Son who rested after he cried, it is finished. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father after being raised from the dead and ascending. Hebrews 8.1 says, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 10.12, But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The work was accomplished, perfectly accomplished in Christ Jesus. It is finished and it is very good. Very good, this new creation. The Father was satisfied with the work that was completed. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God, being Christ, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, that is, satisfaction. 1 John 2.2, he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ, God the Son, perfectly finished the work of, new, of, of, of redemption, of new creation, in the same way that God finished the work of the creation of the heavens and the earth. It was very good. Satisfied. It's in Him that we find our rest from our labor. Rest from all the labor that will never amount to perfection. All our striving after salvation by working like the Pharisees in Christ's day in an effort to attain salvation, never accomplished anything but piling up guilt after guilt after guilt. 
you found rest when you entered into rest. Into Christ Jesus. This is what the author of Hebrews, this is what Hebrews as a whole is getting to. That's the whole point of Hebrews. Christ Jesus is everything. He's our rest. He is our Sabbath. Our rest is realized when we are granted and given faith in Him and placed in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews, if it wasn't Paul, sure understood what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. How many times have we stated? How many times did we see when we went through Hebrews in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved? This is why we worship on the Lord's Day. And that day is set apart as the Christian Sabbath to worship and to praise our Lord Jesus, who is our rest. Every time we do this, we are reminded that our life is eternal and the only rest that we can experience is the rest found in Christ Jesus, the Creator that spoke the world into existence as we have recorded for us here in Genesis. Every Lord's Day, we have a reminder that the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in the new creation is very good and it is a finished work. And that this finished work will have a final consummation. When all that we, that, that we, that exists from the Genesis creation, God will bring to an end. He'll bring it to an end and the new heaven and the new earth will be created. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter 3, 9 through 13. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, which we can rest in, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So let me return to where we started. Are you going to build your own house? Are you going to keep attempting to reach perfection with fallen hands and a fallen heart? Are you going to rely on your work, your wisdom, your tools, your understanding? Are you ever going to get into rest 
in that way. The rest of God first brought to our attention here in Genesis is a true rest because the work of creation was accomplished by Christ. The law speaks of this rest. We read it from two different places. The law speaks of this rest, this Sabbath for the people of God, and it points to Christ who alone can fulfill the law. You and I can't do it. Christ can. And he did. The New Testament speaks of this rest. The Lord of this rest says to all who have been striving, to all have been trying to build a perfect house, all who have been anxiously trying, knowing they can't measure up. All who are failing, as every single person who tries is, he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will not you may, not you might, you will find rest for your souls. Here is rest. Here is rest that is built upon a perfect and finished work, just like the perfect and finished work of creation. Look to the creator, the savior, and the sustainer to the Lord of the Sabbath, that you might experience the rest of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given us rest in Christ. Lord, we are totally unable incapable of doing that which is required, living up to your standards. Lord, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We find no rest in ourselves. We're thankful that your word reveals to us Christ the Son of God who came and gave himself a ransom, redeemed us from the curse of the law that we were under, has given us rest and a hope of a rest that we can only begin to, to comprehend. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word that created this world and the word that was given, that we might have this rest. It's in his name we pray. Amen.